This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Ian. We're bringing the latest comic news and comic reviews from the weeks of June 30th through July 13th. We have a total of two books to cover, uh, just one piece of news, and we have a slew of Monkey Watch questions, specifically because I thought this was going to be a shorter episode. So I reached out in our Discord and, and asked listeners and fans for questions that you'd like us to answer. So we're going to get into those questions later in the episode, obviously, but we're going to jump straight into the comic news first. Like I said, we only have one thing to cover. On July 11th, DC announced that there is yet another new addition to DC Black Label. This one will be coming around in October. Uh, it's called Joker Killer Smile and is the latest miniseries to join the line. This is coming from writer Jeff Lemaire with art by Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, the series will release its first issue on October 30th. Um, this series is planned to be re- be three issues long and release every other month, just like some of the other recent announcements. Um, the solicitation says in Joker Killer Smile, Lamar and Sorrentino will join will share their own interpretation of one of the darkest characters of the Batman mythos, the Joker. For years, the Joker has terrorized Gotham, facing off with Batman time and time again. But now he's found a new adversary, one that can deliver him from the purgatory of Arkham Asylum and set his madness free once more. A very doctor tasked with treating him. As he gets his hooks deeper and deeper into the mind of his prey, Joker sets off a chain reaction of mayhem that will threaten to tear down not only Gotham City, but the soul of this ideal- idealistic man and his young family, too. So, um, when this was announced, and we it was mentioned on our Discord, we kind of talked about this on the Discord um, there's a lot of Joker stuff coming, and while I would love to see them take on some other villains, and I said this at the time when, I, when the announcement came out on the Discord, I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to see other takes on other villains. Why not give other villains spotlight? Why are we getting so much so much Joker? And then I realized after the, after I made those comments, oh, yeah, that's right. There's a Joker movie coming out in October that I keep um... forgetting about, and obviously they, this is their way of... I guess tying into the release of that by making sure that there's a bunch of Joker series that are available out and on shelves. Um, so I don't blame them for doing that rather than trying to do some sort of movie tie into something that's not part of any sort of real continuity. So I don't blame them for trying, you know, to, to maximize the profit capabilities of uh, the Joker when the, the movie comes out. Um, but that being said, 
Um, I, I still would like to see other things, and I'm hoping, despite the fact that we're getting all of these Joker series, uh, to be clear, this is uh, there's the Joker Harley Criminal Sanity series um, that's coming, and then there's also the Harleen series uh, that's starting in September, then this one, um, and then on top of that, they also announced, uh, which we didn't report on the site, but we'll report along with the solicitations, the Year of the Villain one of the year of the villain specials uh, one shots that are coming out in October also happens to be featuring Joker and is going to be co-written by John Carpenter. Um, So he's going to be giving his take on the Joker as well. So let's just say that, I mean, there's a lot of Joker stuff, but I'm just hoping that we have other black label stuff that we're going to be hearing about in the near future. That's not just about the Joker because while I appreciate the Joker just as much as the next Bat fan, I would like to see other rogues featured as well. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's nice that it's not just retelling of the movie. At least we assume that it's not just going to be retelling. So it's going to be original, but I'm done with Joker. <laughs> Even though he hasn't really had much to do lately, I'm I'm done with Joker. Yeah, I agree. I'm much more interested in Lemire's other project, The Question, even though that's clearly going to sell less based on the promotion and the amount of time devoted to it in the interview. Yeah. No question about that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was all the news we had from the past two weeks. It's been, like I said, it dries up. We got that slew of news in June uh, more news than we got in a, in a one week's time frame, in a really long time, and now it's been kind of dry. And we'll probably get a couple of things that we'll talk about on the next episode coming out of San Diego Comic Con. But for now, that's all the news we've got. So we're going to straight into our we're going to jump straight into our comic reviews and start off with Batman. <laughs> Batman number 74, The Fall and the Fallen Finale, written by Tom King, art by Mikel Janine. The story opens in the desert with Batman and his father, Thomas Wayne's Flashpoint Batman, fighting off an army of Rachel Ghoul's soldiers as they fight their way to a pit that can revive Bruce's long-dead mother, whose casket they have been dragging across the desert. As they fight, Thomas asks Bruce about the story he used to read him as a child, which was featured back in Batman number 57, called The Animals in the Pit. As they ride, Thomas remarks that Bruce was a shy and timid child, and they talk about how Bruce would cry for that story to be read, and how Thomas didn't know why he liked the story so much. Bruce and Thomas reach the pit and rappel down into it with a casket, along with one of Raish's captured soldiers, as Thomas explains that the pit allows someone to trade their life to revive another. As they lower the casket, Thomas speaks more about the story he would read and how it brought comfort to his mother that Bruce could repeatedly hear such a horrible story and still dream of a better world. Thomas then explains that Bruce has been addicted to being Batman and that he needed to be brought to a low point and broken in order to grow past it and get his life back. Bruce then explains that the reason he kept insisting for the same story is that he couldn't give up hope that each time it was read, that there would be a happy ending. 
Batman then proceeds to strike his father, and the two fight as the animal in the pit is recited in the captions around them. As they battle, Batman throws Thomas through the casket, causing it to break and spill its contents, a bunch of rocks on the cave floor. Batman explains that he hid his mother's body as his father slept earlier. He didn't know if he could beat his father, so he planned to get him to the pit so he could at least hurt him enough so that they would never escape. As the two fight, Batman explains that he learned a long time ago that his parents were dead, but that he is still alive. The story ends with the next morning as a gloved hand crawls out of the pit. So, um, we have the ending of The Fall and the Fallen. Um, This has been kind of an odd story arc. Dustin had a lot of... um, analysis based on the fact that we know that it was changed last minute by Tom King. Um, Let's start with the basic question. How do you feel that it ends leading into City of Bane with 75 uh, this coming week? Um, How do I feel about how this ends and going into City of Bane? I feel like it kind of ends abruptly uh, Okay, I mean, I wish I could pretend and say I know, you know, I w- I'm hoping that 75 is going to go this, but I'll be honest, I already read 75, um, and it is just as confusing as you probably expect it to be coming out of this story. Uh, I read 75, and my immediate reaction was, huh, how does this connect to 74? Uh-oh. So, um. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to go too much into seventy five, but basically, the 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 issues I have is this clearly sets it up sets it up as somebody gets out of the pit, but somebody's not getting out of the pit, um, or at least that's what you would assume based off of that ending of only one glove emerging from the pit after this battle. So somebody is still in the pit, um, but the way seventy five begins and takes place. Both of them are out of the pit, and both of them are on opposite sides of the world. So, yeah. Maybe it's a really long pit, and one of them came out one end, and the other came out the other. Maybe, yes. <laughs> um, well, I've tried to stay decently ignorant of what City Bane is. You know, I'm not looking at the solicits or, or things like that. So, um, I would assume that City Bane would have something. I mean... You know, not now that I'm spoiled, I don't know. I don't think this, but I would have thought that you know, it, it whoever's getting out of the pit goes back to Gotham, and if it's Flashpoint, then he. Well, trust me when I say, reading seventy five, you will not know, <laughs> and that is why it's confusing. Well, yes, at this point, I mean, what is this seventy four? So, so I mean, if we don't know Tom King by now, we're bad fans. So I cannot, in good conscience believe that with one glove coming out of the pit that I will fully understand what happened, who got out of the pit and that to believe that the following issue will pick up where this one left off. I'd be a foolish Tom King fan if I believe that. Um, so I, I, all I know is that I have no idea because it's Tom King. I have no idea what he's going to do next. I find that really interesting uh, because I have also read number 75 and I, um, I wasn't confused because to me, this is the Batman and city of Bane. Number one, number 75 sets up and I expected it to set up the new status quo, which is that Bane controls the city. 
Uh, the details of how that work, of course, are going to be surprising or interesting or, or creative or whatever. But I, I think that in terms of economy, you're always taught um, in creative writing and screenwriting especially um, to start the story as late as possible. So in terms of City of Bane, you want to start with City of Bane and give just enough information to say, well, this is how Bane got control of this or that. But I mean, honestly, we know that Bane has an enormous amount of power already, given that he has fooled everyone into thinking he's catatonic. He's not saying anything. But we know that he's actually directing the entirety of the underworld and a lot of the, the administration of Gotham already. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see he's just decided to take advantage of Batman's absence to take over the entire city. I'm not saying that part's confusing. I'm saying it's confusing how we get the end of this issue, which is a glove emerging from a pit and it goes into a slightly, a slightly future version of, of, and when I say future version, I just mean it takes place a little bit into the future because we don't know how we got here, but we get back to Gotham city. The villains are basically running things in Gotham city and it's the city of Bane. While I don't need the explanation of how it got there. What I would like the explanation of is why do we end on a cliffhanger of one hand emerging from the pit yet Bruce Wayne appears in 75, nowhere near Gotham city, not in a pit, not even anywhere near this desert. And then Thomas Wayne is in Gotham city along with, or with, with Bane. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just the connections. I, I understand how, you know, it makes sense to like jump in, the, in inside and then slowly tell out the story. That's fine. But I feel like that's happened a lot recently where we just jump to a certain point in the story and we don't know how we got there. We don't understand the explanation of where we came from or how we got here. And you're waiting for the explanation and it never comes. Or, I mean, like, we still don't know. Like, you're going back to like issue number 50 with. Bane having all of these people here. We still don't have any idea, 25 issues or almost 25 issues later, how exactly Thomas Wayne has come to be. Why exactly some of these other characters that are, that are uh, uh, you know, in cahoots with Bane are in cahoots. We don't have any idea why any of this is actually occurring. While sure, some of it could be explained in, in 75, I think that a year's time frame and 25 issues could just be a little too many issues to pass where we don't actually learn anything about why these characters are suddenly deciding to go with Bane. Sure. We've seen bits and pieces of Thomas saying, well, maybe he's doing this because it's the extreme reaction to Bruce, not giving up being Batman or whatever. But at the same time, did he really need to see his son's entire uh, emotional state crushed by what happened with Catwoman? Was that part of the plan? How does that help him not be Batman? I mean, like there's just, I feel like we just keep presenting more and more questions. And while I understand that I'm not necessarily directly talking about this specific issue, this issue I didn't actually have a whole lot of issues with other than I, I read I, I read it. I got to the end. I read the ending. I was like, okay, so who's the hand that emerges from the pit? That's obviously what they want you to ask when you get done reading the issue. And then, you, well, then why would they not just show you who's emerging from the pit? Well, to me, I think that, we have two Batman, and Don King is very deliberately pay, playing with this idea of uh, Dark Mirror Thomas to, to Batman. And the thing is, they're both Batman. Uh, in number 69, uh, 
Thomas uses all of Batman's catchphrases, you know, I am the Dark Knight, the Cape Crusader, the world's greatest detective. Um, he thinks he's the real Batman. And so we know both of them get out of the pit. Um, we knew that from solicits, uh, that Thomas was going to be the Batman with Gotham Girl as his Robin. And of course we knew that Batman, what Bruce wasn't going to die. Well, um, he wasn't going to die, but they also made a very big effort in the solicits to say that Bane had broken Batman. And now well, that's has. the explanation as to how this all happened and how he has taken over Gotham City. But really what happened was he broke Batman. They took him to do surgery. They Then Thomas dragged him to the desert to bring back his dead wife. And then Bane took over Gotham City somehow. Meanwhile, every freaking other person who's normally in Gotham City has nothing to do with anything. And I understand they explained it somewhat with everyone just not believing that anything was happening. But how do you get it to the, the point of Bane is literally, he has full reign over the entire city and nobody else has taken notice? Well, I'm sure that in terms of the Bat family, we are going to find out. I hope to God we do, because if we don't, whoo-hoo. Well, I mean, it... Given the fact that number, um, I think it was 70, was it 70 or 71 where we had the whole Bat family and they all charge into Arkham and they find nothing. Um, obviously, Tom King's thinking about this. So I'm pretty, pretty darn sure that we're going to see what's up with the Bat family, um, both in Batman and in the tie-in titles. Um, in terms of how Bane took over the city, I I mean, that's kind of like Flash White Batman. I know that people are unsatisfied with the fact that Flashpoint Batman's here. I just look at the fact that Bane has persuaded Skeets to help him. And I'm like, well, Skeets could time travel and go to alternate universes and alternate timelines. I don't have a problem understanding that that's how Flashpoint Batman's here. I don't, I don't feel like I need it spelled out. That's just how I understand it to have happened. You don't need it spelled out, but they're not, it's not like they're even giving you the letters to spell it out. I'm sorry, I just well, don't... Skeets is here. We saw what Skeets could but do. Why, is Skeet, why does Bane have control of Skeets? Because well, I mean, Skeets has been on evil several times. I, 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 the problem is, I feel like you guys are... Well, not you guys, but just in general, there's too many dots being connected that Tom King would say, well, yeah, you're just supposed to do this yourself. And the thing is, like, while not everything has to be spelled out, I feel like there's some gaping holes here that need to get filled in. And not just, oh, somehow connect the dots and do it yourself. I don't want to have a story where I have to connect all the freaking dots to know to understand these big moments and understand, you know, these big explanations of how things have occurred. You know, Thomas Wayne showing up was a big deal. I still don't feel like we've really explored why he's here other than he's pissed about Batman not giving up being bat or, or Bruce not giving up being Batman. But couldn't the wedding have potentially pushed him in a direction that could have changed that? Maybe. Who knows? We'll never know because, of course, Thomas Wayne was already in cahoots and ruining the wedding in the first place. So, I don't know. I mean, I agree. I made a large deal in my review of Batman 50 about how I think that not letting Batman be married was the least interesting of story choices Tom King could have made. But I, I'm still on board with it. Um I'm on board for it too. I, I mean, like, I know I sound like a broken record and I constantly sound super negative on this arc. It's just because I feel like we keep getting these small, small, like, segments of a larger story, but I don't feel the connections between these smaller segments. 
I still don't understand the uh, the reason behind the entire nightmares, but I won't go into that because I've said that way too many times. I don't understand the entire um, reason of not explaining, you know, like how Gotham Girl disappeared for like 50-something issues. And then when she comes back, she is completely different character than she, she was when we last saw her. And that was never explained. I, I just feel like there's too many things that haven't been explained because there's like because everything is these weird segments. It almost feels like there's a different writer writing these different parts and somebody behind the scenes is like, okay, let's figure out how we can connect them all together and explain it. And hopefully they'll do it themselves because I'm not going to. But do you think maybe, and this is kind of a cop-out answer, but there is so much that is unexplained. It might add too many issues. (laughs) Um, or extend the story even longer to explain it all, which is honestly, I would say that, but I've seen, and I could say, I've seen things like, um, I've seen things wrapped up so easily with like, just the, like the most offhand comment from somebody like just in a word bubble Mm -hmm. that I know it's possible. So there's no reason you have to, it's just, the problem is like, ignoring characters for 50 something issues or 30 issues or whatever, and then coming back to them and they'd be completely different and not explaining why they're completely different. Um, taking a character who has a very specific purpose, who, who legitimately like Thomas, where I'm referring to Thomas Wayne here, Thomas Wayne, like legitimately wants Bruce to have a better life because he doesn't want him to have a life, like kind of what he's experienced, but in a different sense of, you know, obviously he's not him and it's a different world. Him going from, son, I love you so much at the end of Flashpoint, to, son, you should really stop being Batman. It's the best thing for you, to. I'm going to team with this massive enemy, and I'm just going to take you out now. Like, there, it's too much of a stretch from these for these characters without any sort of explanation. And now, of course, now you see Thomas Wayne, like, literally walking through the desert with a dead body of his wife saying, I'm going to raise her from the dead because that's the next best thing. What? This is not the Thomas Wayne from Flashpoint. Like Thomas Wayne from Flashpoint was a violent, you know, sadistic character. But when it came to his son and his wife, it was a whole different story. Now it's just coming across as like he's he's out to do whatever by whatever means necessary. He has to do what he needs to do. And his son, the fact that it's his son doesn't matter. He's okay just sitting by and watching his son get the crap beat out beaten out of him by Bane. And that's okay because he didn't stop being Batman in this short amount of time that's that's passed since he first told him, hey, stop being Batman. I'm sorry. I just don't see that as like the correct characterization for Thomas Wayne. I just and the thing is like Gotham Girl going from this character who is being helped, they the whole I am suicide thing happened because they needed to get Psycho Pirate so that they could help Gotham Girl so that she could get better. And then the next time we see her, she's this like she's back to her murderous ways of I need to be exactly like my brother and I have to use my powers. I'm going to end up killing myself because of it. Like what? What? How are we not explaining any of this? And I know that King didn't write the Gotham Girl story, but I'm sure he had some sort of input on it. I don't know. I know, I know, I, I know every time when you talk about Batman, I know this happens and I know I keep ranting about it and then I end up and give it the issue a higher rating and everyone's like, what the heck is going on? It's really just like the issues themselves individually, they're enjoyable. And honestly, the art in these issues are, is amazing. But the thing is like, 
the overall picture is what I keep looking at because that's my main focus is the overall story. And honestly, when this is said and done, if you read this nonstop from issue number one to issue number 85, when it wraps up or even on to with including Batman, the Batman Catwoman story, uh, the Batman Catwoman series that's coming out, is it all going to even make sense? Or is there still going to be these massive holes that were never explained that we're just supposed to connect the dots? And the thing is, I'm sure the dots are going to be there and I'm going to keep saying it because years ago when they first taught, when, when it was the first, after the first year that King was on the book, we interviewed him at New York comic-con. We asked him some specific question about Gotham girl. And he specifically said, Oh, that was just supposed to you, you, you as the reader were supposed to figure that part out. And I can't stand the idea that as a reader, we have to figure things out. Like if you put in this perspective, if this was a super popular storyline and somebody went to adapt it and they had these massive holes, you don't think that somebody would tear this, this apart. If it was an animated film, if there was these massive holes that didn't get involved, I think they would leave the holes. And my argument for that is that look at the dark Knight rises. How in the world does Bruce get from the prison pit to Gotham in under a day without a cell phone, without any kind of way to contact any of his resources with Wayne Enterprises. I'm not trying to say that all movies are plot proof and they they don't have holes. Every movie has plot holes. I'm just saying like franchise already made a movie that did this. So I think that there's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of fragmentation that I think fans are becoming more used to accepting. And oh, I will never get used to it, and I will <laughs> never accept it. And oh, I, will man, be here, I, really- I will be here to be the one who constantly preaches, stop fragmenting your stories and expecting everybody to just connect the dots that you don't actually have the dots there for. I really wish I could have been on the cast when the Batman RIP was happening. Cause I think that was way more fragmented than anything Tom King has done. I would not disagree. I would not. And I know that back then it was a completely different story, but I think that I've read a lot more comics since RIP. And while I enjoyed the art in RIP and the overall story was a really interesting concept, I can acknowledge back, you know, looking back, there is a lot of plot holes that don't necessarily make sense. And I know that a lot of times you just chalk it up to, well, it's Grant Morrison because that's what he does, which isn't, I mean, that's not like a fair assessment because as a writer, you, in my opinion, you shouldn't be doing that. And like, if I was to, you know, get amnesia and wake up tomorrow and someone said, oh yeah, you review comics for a living. You need to start out with RIP. It'd probably be the exact same situation where I'd be like, yeah, uh, this this doesn't make any sense. Amusingly, Tony Tony Daniel did the art for R.I.P. too, and we're back to where we started. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's sort of a it was sort of a segue because you started talking about the pit. Um, I think it's really funny that I brought up the uh, the fable last episode, and it was such a huge part of this um, issue. Uh, how do you think that the Russian fable about the animals in the pit uh, fits into the story now? I thought it was actually really, um, it, it made my appreciation for that first issue grow a lot to have it repeated here in this context. I thought it was really smart. It does show that he can connect 
different elements, which only proves my last point about why aren't we, you know, connecting the dots when needed. I mean, like, to be fair, when the fable popped up in the previous issue during um, uh, the the KGB storyline there, it was kind of like out of nowhere. and wasn't real sure exactly the reason they used it. But it worked and it was fine. And we draw we drew comparisons to the fact that Thomas Wayne was reading it to Bruce and it was fine. I mean, like it was just it was there. And it was like a way to format the issue with using an existing piece of literature. That was fine. Drawing back to that, however, is is a cool way to bring back something you've referenced in the past and actually acknowledge that you know, this existed not only in the normal timeline, but also in the flashpoint timeline too. You know, they both read the book and to see how different the interpretations of the story is from each of the perspective, Batman it's Batman's it's really interesting. And I, I think that that something like that is really a smart way for a writer to acknowledge your previous work, especially since that, that issue was like, you know, over 10 issues ago, um, there's a smart way to bring it back. And I think it works well. Yeah. I mean, it was cool that, I mean, one, they're literally going down into a pit <laughs> while they're talking about this pit story, which I don't know if it was this, like if going to the pit triggered the thought in Thomas or if it's something he'd always thought about. Um, but it was kind of cool. Cause you know, in the story they're going to the church to pray and then they're kind of dumped in this pit of hopelessness. And, in a way, like a Lazarus pit is, I don't know, this pit in particular. I mean, there is a hopelessness to this pit because it's so far down. Um, you have to exchange a life for a life. Like s- at least one person is not coming out of this pit, if anyone at all, because it is so far down. So on a literal sense, it is interesting that, you know, there's the parallel of the story and what they're actually doing, even though they don't seem to really acknowledge <laughs> that they're in a pit with the possibility of not coming out, talking about a story about a pit where the animals didn't come out. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with Dustin that it was, it was, it was very clever. And I just loved seeing the side of, of Bruce, even as a kid, you know, and I, I have to admit, I've done the same thing too. You know, you watch the same movie over again, hoping maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe this time it'll be okay. I don't know if I've done it to this extent where, you know, I wake up screaming and need to watch the movie again or read the book again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool seeing that, that, you know, he comes from a place of hope and that's intrinsic to his character. And that's one reason he's Batman is there's, there's always that hope that it can be better, that he can save the day. That <laughs> is a brilliant observation, Steph. And I, I think this ties directly to what Tom King is doing with this series, which is he's asking, can Batman be happy? and still be Batman. And this story is from before his parents died. So Mm -hmm. there was a part of Bruce that would read a a story of a tragedy, a story of some of the worst people can do to each other and hope that they would be better. And what Catwoman said in issue 50 is that Batman is a machine that takes the pain of the world and turns it into hope. But I think that he's saying through this story that Catwoman was wrong, that that ability to take pain and turn it into hope is not dependent on Batman being miserable. It's not dependent on the tragedy of his parents' death. And I think that points to hope 
for what Batman Catwoman is going to be and what the generational change will be. Because I think it's still happening. I think it's going to be good. And I, I think this is part of the foundation for that, that, that ending. So thank you for spurring that. That's, that was brilliant. Um, also, I mean, the you know, they say if an author brings something up two or three times, you really need to pay attention to it because it's super important. And so now this is second time, right? I guess you can kind of count it's the last. It's the second explicit but, time for yeah. this. But, I mean, we saw the image of falling. I mean, there was that, that almost wordless issue where Batman in the nightmares was falling from the top of the building mm-hmm. sewers. Like, this whole thing has been imagery of pits and falling and now we're coming back up and I'm very excited. So why don't we get to our ratings? All right. So I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five. You know, I liked the art, but it wasn't like, there wasn't any like panel that was like, wow, that's awesome. It was just very good art. I don't know. Three, three and a half, I think for me. I'm going to say a four and a half out of five for this issue. It was really, it hit a lot of good stuff for me. All right. And then over on the site, Paul gave it four as well. So that's going to give the issue a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue. Detective comics. Detective Comics number 1007, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Kyle Hotz. James Corrigan screams for the Spectre to show up. He threatens these followers who are holding him captive and threatens to kill them all. One of the followers tells him the connection between himself and the Spectre will be terminated. In the Batcave, Bruce re-examines the crime scene virtually with the use of holograms. He removes any GCPD member from the scene, examines the deceased's wounds, and checks the area for the unusual any unusual debris. Bruce feels that there is something wrong and shouts for the Spectre to reveal himself. The Spectre manifests and says it was always his intention to announce his presence. Bruce goes back to put his cowl on, but the Spectre insists that it is pointless. He is the spirit of God's vengeance. A mask is a trivial thing. Bruce asks why Corrigan is so special to him, and the Spectre shares that they are one in the same. In order to explain the situation, the Spectre allows Bruce to see his memories through the eyes of Corrigan. Corrigan had always wanted to be a police officer like the generations of Corrigans before him. Earning his detective shield was the proudest day of his life. He led many good cops to save the soul of New York. Along the way, his, he lost good and honorable friends. He pushed the ethical limits to stop crime. Unfortunately, all actions have consequences. One of the criminal organizations he tried to stop sent a few men to tie him up and throw him into a lake. While drowning, he pleaded for a second chance at life. He saw an intense light telling him he was not worthy of heaven, but not that unworthy to go to hell. He was bound to the specter and has been on the war against crime ever since. The specter shares that he is going to rejoin Corrigan by any means necessary. Bruce says he will help him find Corrigan only if the specter swears not to give in to his bloodlust. The specter says it is his nature, but insists only blood will be spilled, no deaths for tonight. Bruce shares that although the Spectre contaminated the crime scene, he was able to still find a small piece of fabric left in the alley. This fabric has a tip of a finger seared to it. Bruce has the back computer analyze the finger and discovers the fingerprint belongs to Rick Zoller. The Spectre takes Batman to a prison cell and confronts a man named Nigel Walker. He demands to know where Ray Ambrose is. 
They were previous associates that pulled several heists together. The Spectre threatens the man to tell Batman everything. He, After agreeing to their terms, Batman admits he never thought he would be the good cop. Batman and the Spectre goes to Ambrose's apartment and looks for and look to look for any clues. Batman looks at one of Ambrose's boots and finds a shard of wood. After analyzing it, he determines it is from Grace Church. Batman and the Spectre enter the church and hurriedly look for Corrigan. After finding him, Batman and the Spectre stop the cult from killing Corrigan. Batman throws a batarang at Corrigan's restraints and Corrigan enters the fight. A fire is spreading and they all need to leave before the fire consumes the church. All except one of the cult members escape the fire and Batman tells the Spectre to honor his promise and save the life. After retrieving him, Batman thanks him for keeping his promise. Batman looks to Corrigan and says he needs to leave Gotham. Corrigan says he put in a transfer back to New York a few weeks ago, and it's only a matter of time before he returns. All right. So, um, I don't have a lot to say. Um, I know that the problem is, I still like, say this is just a rehash of the brave and the mold, but Tom King did it better. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. I, I, I don't want to sit here and like harp on because I feel like all I'm going to end up coming is the person just complains about everything this episode, even though, of course, the last issue I gave the, the last that, you know, I gave Batman four out of five and everyone's like, but all I talked about was how much he despises Tom King's story. Um, no. So here's the thing there. This was fine. Uh, I mean, for a story that's taking place in detective comics, at least there was a lot of detective work. I can mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can honestly say that I'm still not a fan of this style of art. Um, I will say it's not as bad as Kelly Jones, but it's it's pretty very comparable. Um but ultimately, it comes down to at least this was only a two-issue story arc, so we're not spending too much time. But it does feel just like a very quick story just to fill in the gap. And I'm not exactly sure why. Um, as far as, I mean, to be fair, it really just feels like they needed an artist to do a two-issue story arc because they needed someone to fill in so that um, before one of the previous artists comes back on. They just needed a two month break. I don't know. It just, I I don't know. Um, I mean like overall, what did you guys think of the story arc? Well, yeah, I mean, it was detective E. It was kind of a shame that one of the detectives was the victim in the whole thing and didn't do any detectiving, but it was cool to see Batman, the detective. And I really do. I just, it's not that I dislike supernatural stories. I just, my brain checks out start watching it and I go, I don't care. I don't care about magic. Oh, good. You snapped your fingers. You talked backwards and nothing's happened. Hmm, don't care. But this one at least kept me, I read it all the way through <laughs> and it kept me engaged enough that I, I was not put off by the, the magic part of it. So that was, or the ugh, cult part of it. <laughs> the, at least in this issue, the cult part of it was not prevalent enough that, you know, my eyes glazed over. So it, it was a solid, decently told story with art that was appropriate for the type of story that it was. So, you know, it didn't take me out of it too much, even though his ears are still so pointy and long. 
I, I mean, I already sort of said my thoughts. I think this was certainly not a poorly told story, but it's, it just feels really um, disposable. Like, it's just not going to stick with me. Isn't that okay sometimes, though? Because not every story has to be life-altering and changing your opinions on things and staying with you the rest of your life. Like, sometimes it's okay for, especially for its ongoing, that's been around since, what, 1932 or whatever it was? Like, 39, but yes. 39, 39. Some stories are just going to be, you know, whatever. I mean, that's that's perfectly fine, but those stories can still be interesting and not... Uh, so, I mean, like, I honestly, I think it comes down to, I don't think any of us are huge fans of the spiritual or the, the no, magical no, no, no. elements. Don't, don't get me wrong. I actually really like the Spectre, and I think Greg Rucka did some great things with him when he was Christmas Allen. I just don't think that anything presented here was really theologically careful or... It was just kind of gore for gore's sake and just like, rah, wrath of God, instead of, you know, the deep questions of guilt and innocence that you get when someone like Christopher Priest or Greg Rucka really takes a look at what the implications of an entity like the Spectre are. Um, so I think it was just really not living up to the potential it could be while being, you know, it's, it's inoffensive. I just think I've seen this story done better with uh, the Tom King one shot. And also I've seen this character handled much better. I would definitely agree. I don't know a lot about Spectre other than the few appearances he's had in the Batman universe, but I can honestly say that I was kind of taken aback by the fact that he was, the the Spectre is so all about just straight up murdering people because I don't remember that characterization, but I may just be remembering wrong, but I definitely don't remember in Gotham by Midnight or Batman Eternal, the Spectre just emerging and just straight up killing people. But, I mean, he's definitely very dark, but I, I just think this wasn't super thoughtful. Yeah. I'm also not exactly sure how the spirit of God would want, or the, the spirit of God's spirit of vengeance would be an entity that would just go around killing people. Like, it just seems like it's more like, I'm not sure how that would need to be associated with God. It just seems like somebody who's just trying to even the odds or even the count. But whatever. Anyway, as you can tell, we probably um, we didn't really like it. And I don't really want to spend too much time talking about something that uh, wasn't exactly great, but wasn't exactly horrible either. I'm going to give this two and a half. Yeah, a good solid two and a half. Two and a half. And over on the site, Tony gave it two. So it's going to give Detective Comics a total of two and a half out of five batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the site for Greater Gotham. Uh, starting off on f- July 3rd, main TBU books, Batgirl number 36. Batgirl has to fight her way out of the terrible trio's burning club as the story arc comes to a conclusion. This is reviewed by Paul. He gave it three out of five. Harley Quinn number 63. Harley confronts the specter of death itself in a- another bizarre trial while Harley's mother gets more bad news. This is reviewed by David. He gave it three and a half out of five. 
Batman Teenage or uh, moving over secondary TBU books, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three number three. The turtles and Batman get more in tune with their true histories as both find their old friends and enemies. Survivor so Adele, he gave it two and a half out of five. Main DC Universe books, Adventures of the Super Sons number twelve. As the series comes to an end, Robin and Superboy finish off their current threats and encounter a new one. Zubai H. Ham, and this, and he gave it one and a half out of five. Deceased number three, the heroes take a moment and acknowledge their losses. Zubai Tony gave it four out of five. Justice League number 27, John continues his search for Lex, while the rest of the league try and find the monitors. This was reviewed by Andy. He gave it three and a half out of five. Secondary DC Universe books, The Green Lantern number nine, Bat Lantern, the Bruce Wayne from Earth 32 appears the end of the issue. Lois Lane, number one, the question Renee Montoya appears in the issue. Superman up in the sky, number one, Batman appears briefly at the beginning of the issue. Jumping over to July 10th, we have main TBU books where he talked about Batman number 74. Batman and the Outsiders, number three, Batman tries to get the Outsiders to become more cohesive through a training exercise. Meanwhile, Ra's al Ghul tries to turn Sophia to the dark side through his own version of training. This is by Dill. He gave it three and a half out of five. Batman Universe number one. Batman crashes the Riddler's party, trying to stop the theft of the Fabergé egg, but things are not as quite not quite what they seem. This is by David. He gave it two and a half out of five. Catwoman number 13. While Catwoman runs around Villa Hermosa looking for Aunt Linda, Raina Creel is one step ahead and uses her bargaining chip to get the relic. This is by Jessica. She gave it three and a half out of five. Detective Comics, we already talked about. Red Hood Outlaw, number 36. A number of plot points are wrapped up as Red Hood is approached by Lex Luthor. This is by H. Ham. He gave it two out of five. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Event Leviathan, number two. Batman and Red Hood investigate the Leviathan attacks. This is by Ian. He gave it three three out of five. Young Justice, number seven. The Gem World Court Banishment sends the Young Justice team bouncing through the multiverse like a pinball. This is you by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. Secondary DC Universe books, Black Hammer, Justice League, Hammer of Justice, number one. Batman appears as part of the team. Justice League Odyssey, number 11. Azrael continues to appear as part of the team. Wonder Twins, number six. Batman appears as a member of the Justice League in the issue. And then TBU trades and hardcovers over the past two weeks include Batman Deluxe Edition, book four, hardcover. Joker, the 10th anniversary edition trade paperback. And those are the only two that released in the past two weeks. So quickly, out of the books that we've had over the past couple of weeks, uh, Steph, which book would you like to suggest? Oh, I kind of, I was so demoralized and checked out with Super Sons that I didn't really want to read anything else. So that was my unhighlight is don't, don't bother with Super Sons. I would be so confused. I think the only other thing I read was um oh well Deceased was okay. It was it's a very middle of the road story. So although I guess yeah, Deceased was good. I don't know if I'd highlight it, but um I did have a question about Red Hood. What's wrong with Lex Luthor? Why is he a caped ghost? So uh Lex Luthor is currently a it's like a he has a drone that looks like a hologram. Oh. And it's going and making offers to Villains is part of the year of the villain crossover event that's oh. currently happening. That was explained. What was it like? Just League 24. Oh, I'm not reading Justice League anymore. So that's yeah, what I'm it was Just League 24, but it's been a while since uh, Lex Luthor took over this new uh, look. I guess is Wasn't the it in, um, the year of the villain 25 cent comic, though, that we saw it. 
I think it happened there, but it was explained in 24. Oh, okay. Like, I think he, like, he sacrificed himself or whatever, however they they worded it, and then they explained how it actually happened in the other issue. But anyway, uh, Ian, suggestion. Um, nothing, like, super exciting, but I would like to highlight uh, Batman and the Outsiders. I think it's a really fun book, art really good by Dexter Soy, Brian Hill doing a really strong job with the writing, and um, uh, there's some really good moments with Duke and Cass, and I think Brian Hill is doing what I'd hoped, which is really bringing Duke to a better place as a character instead of being kind of really a cipher pulled by different writers. I think Brian Hill's going to give Duke an identity, and that's that's very much of the good. And I also kind of want to point out that Batman Universe is the, the Walmart comics uh, that I used to be reviewing last year before DC decided to release them individually. So um, the art on those is by Nick Darrington, and it really reminds me of my, one of my favorite artists, uh, Darwin Cook. And so, at the very least, it's worth checking out. Maybe you might not want to buy it, but take a look at it in your comic store and see if it looks good. Definitely. And my suggestion over the past two weeks um, is not specifically a Batman title. Um, to be fair, some of these Batman titles have... Uh, you know, let me just... We, we, we've got some time. Let me run through some of these. Backroll 36 kind of just ended very abruptly and wrapped up a lot of things, obviously because there's a new um, creator coming on the book. Cecil Castellucci is coming on the title um, with number 37. So Margaret Scott's kind of wrapped up a lot of, a couple of her minor plot points and yeah, not super thrilled with the, how, how everything just conveniently was wrapped up. And some of the stuff that was actually interesting is no longer going to be featured at all. Uh, Adventures of Super Sons. That that book has gone downhill for the, I'd probably say like the last mm. four or five issues, yeah. um, but it ended on a really really low point for me. Um, specifically, the fact that it honestly just feels like this was a story arc that somehow just decided to get expanded. Like maybe Super Sons originally was meant this was just meant to be the next story arc in Super Sons. They announced they were canceling the book. A, they decided to say, wait, we're actually going to do a Super Sons Maxi series, and that'll be coming out in a couple months. And then they, he decided to extend the story arc to last 12 issues because it just feels like one really long, unnecessarily long story. Um, and it really didn't wrap up in like a meaningful way that made this entire series anything. I mean, like, to be fair, like Steph pointed out earlier, not everything has to have meaning and longevity and all of that. But when you have a maxi series and you say we're doing a maxi series for us, for a group of characters, you would assume that there's a purpose behind that. Not just here's an adventure that you can watch these two characters partake in. Well, I would, en- I would enjoy that though. Like if it's, if it's Damien and, and John, I would read pretty much anything well that's what that but this was trash what, well it was at the end i mean like yeah. it, it had its moments in the beginning but it like did. it just got towards the end where it just felt like oh what planet are we going to now Ugh. what threat are we going to oh rex luther he's back awesome i didn't see that coming for the fourth time in this story arc so i mean like I don't know. I just feel like it was it was longer than it needed to be. I mean, it could have been fine if maybe it was a six issue mini series rather than a twelve issue maxi series, but it just didn't work out like in a in a in a way that like was enjoyable. Um, so I mean, like that was a downfall. Red Hood and the Red Hood Outlaw. Oh boy, um, 
this is even this is just like Batgirl in the sense of they wrapped up all kinds of things very conveniently in a nice little bow, um, but even even more so than they did in Batgirl because there were some massive things that just been introduced like just a couple issues ago that suddenly were wrapped up very very quickly. And obviously, Red Hood is being is going to have a major role in Year of the Villain, um, and he's also going to be over an event Leviathan. But it's just some of this stuff, the way they're wrapping things up is just kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, what was the point of like reading all of these issues that are leading up to these big things? And then it's just, Nope, it's all done. Everything's done. It's all done. Don't look here now. Uh, move on. Uh, I mean, like, honestly, if I'm going to look at any of the issues that actually came out and then the other problem is like event Leviathan and deceased, while I feel like they're a good series, both of these kind of just were like treading water this month. I don't really feel like either one of them was really moving the story yeah. super forward. And that's unfortunate as well. Uh, and the same thing with Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was the same thing. It just feels like we're treading water with all, some of these titles where I understand that not every issue, a ton of stuff can happen, but let's be honest, there's plenty of series that every issue stuff happens. Um, and this is just, it feels like there's too much exposition to explain other things going on or explain to some people, somebody who doesn't, you know, who's not keeping up with, which I understand that they need to do that, but I think it's, they're just doing a little bit too much of it. But um, as far as a suggestion of a book, I I do agree. Batman and the outsiders was really good. Um, I can see that there was some shoehorning of the year, the villain stuff towards the end, which it, it was, it was fine. It didn't, it didn't like, interrupt the story in any way like some of the other ones seem to be doing but uh the one one book that actually came out in the past two weeks that i read is actually that was actually outside of the bad family stuff which as most of you know i i don't have a tendency to read a lot of stuff that's not part of the bad family releases just because i just don't have time but i did happen to read lois lane number one and i gotta say i pretty i I enjoyed that issue a lot i thought it was very very well written the art is very good. It was an enjoyable comic that I didn't have really any sort of expectations for. I mean, to be honest, Lois Lane's not a superhero. She is a supporting character to a superhero in most situations. And I like that they're giving her a focus and really making her her own character who can really do something really interesting because let's be honest political thriller okay well i'll be honest i like political thrillers and that's what this feels like it's going to like turn into so i uh i enjoyed that so i would suggest that one so all right so with that being said that is all of our in-depth or all of our all of greater gotham if i mentioned a rating for the issues then we do have reviews of all of those issues over on the site every single week wednesday thursday and friday there are reviews on the site wednesday is all the batman specific titles thursday is all of the allies and villains within the batman universe and then on friday is all of our dc universe titles so be sure to check out all of those reviews every single week over on the site or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or join our Discord because we also post the, on all of our social media when we do have new reviews posted. That being said, there's also another uh, segment of Batman Through the Years. This one dives into 1940, and as you're listening to this, 1941 should be 
out as well. So check out those. Those are coming out on Monday mornings. So you can check out those. Uh, before we get into our listener questions, I want to quickly su- thank our, our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Colt, Donald, Robert, Cody, Austin, Captain America, Brendan, Irwin, Ian, Arturo, Jay Dutton, Real No Deuces, and Stanton's Grave. Uh, we greatly appreciate all of your support, as well as all the support that we get at the lower levels as well. Um, a couple of people have dropped off over the past couple of uh, months, but then there's been some new people who have come on board. So we greatly appreciate all the support that we are getting. And uh, as I've said multiple times, and I'm going to continue to say it, if you have not joined our Discord, please do join our Discord because all of the contests that we previously had over on Patreon are now over on our Discord, uh, held exclusively over there because of some terms and conditions that changed over at Patreon. So if you are, in fact, any Patreon uh, supporter and you have not joined our Discord, I encourage you to do so because we held we hold a contest every single week, or not every single week, every single episode that we release. So twice a month we have a new contest. Uh, the last contest that we just held for the previous episode was a group of uh, children's super DC superhero books, um, a small collection of those. And the winner, by the time this episode releases, will be announced. And then we'll have a new package, uh, which will be coming out, which let's see, what do I have this time around? This time around, it's going to be, I don't know. I, I have something. I just can't see it from where I'm at. So um, it'll be, it'll be posted onto the, the discord and all you need to do is just join the Discord. Anybody can enter, even if you're not a Patreon supporter, and enter it for a chance to win the, the prize for this time around. And uh, Patreon supporters get an extra entry into the sweepstakes. So I, I greatly impre- I, I greatly encourage you to join the Discord to be a part of those sweepstakes to, to you know to potentially win a prize. And then everybody else also join the Discord because you can win a prize too just by joining the Discord. And we've had a lot of people really join recently um, on the Discord, and there's been a lot of conversations going on. There's always conversations going on every Wednesday, you know, after new comics release. So be sure to check it out. All right, so with that, we're going to jump over to our listener questions. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! Um, we have one specific question before we get into a bunch of Monkey Watch stuff. So... Uh, the first comment and only comment comes from Mattman via Discord. Mattman says, great episode. I always get nervous when there isn't a lot of news to report, but that discussion was great. I have a question based on the episode. If Bruce's parents come back and Bruce does step down from Batman, do you think we could see a Batman beyond type Bruce? Do you think Dick could take over the mantle once he's Dick again? What would that mean for Jason or Tim or Damien? I would love at love, love a badass Jason Todd Batman. And I would never get it, just fantasy booking. But my question, I guess, would Bruce take a more Oracle role? Also, I love Joelle Jones's art. Lady Killer was awesome, and I love her run on Batman. I would love to see her do a miniseries with the 1950s Batman. I know a timeline restrictions and such. Okay, so... um. So 
thanks for the the compliments on the last episode. The the obviously Bruce's parents are not coming back. Um, if yeah, yeah yeah if Thomas Wayne somehow mysteriously goes out in the desert and finds the body that was hidden after only one person emerges from the pit and then they split up and are on opposite sides of the globe in the next ah okay um do, do does it is it possible that Bruce could take like more of a mentor role where he stays inside the back cave um I'm not gonna say this is not possible I think that uh, I'm not saying that it would be possible like right this second but I think there's a point in time where it's entirely possible that Batman could take a back seat. The requirement, of course, would be that the he needs to be way more interconnected with the Bat family, which we're not currently seeing in Tom King's run. While we are seeing connections to the Bat family, I don't feel like we're seeing a massive connection where like the Bat family is constantly like it's this is not like detective comics at the beginning of Rebirth, where we have multiple members of the Bat family interacting with Batman and each other on a normal basis. But if we did get to the level of the Bat family legitimately all being in Gotham City, we have Nightwing we have Dick Grayson actually being Nightwing in Gotham City or even in Bloodhaven because they're, they're close and he just pops in Gotham from time to time. And you brought back Tim and you brought back Damien because obviously they're on the Teen Titans and Young Justice right now. Batgirl was a little bit more involved in things and not just on the frills of the, the stuff. Red Hood was brought back more in the fold. I think that like legitimately Bruce could do like a really cool mentor role of having the Bat family take care of things every single night. And he doesn't need to be out on patrol. He could just be like the Oracle of the group. Um, do I see it happening anytime in the near future? The only time I could, the only way I could see this happening is if he legitimately does get married and he decides he just wants to take a step back from doing as much as he is doing. Maybe because of maybe because of everything that happens with City of Bane, he gets pushed to his brink where he's like doing trying to do everything himself, and he realizes he comes back to realize he really does need to lean on his allies and the other people who are operating within Gotham city and the bat family and things like that. I think that is entirely possible. Maybe he does try to experience happiness if the wedding actually goes through and, and says, you know, maybe I don't need to be out on patrol every single night. Uh, Maybe I can rely on some of these other people that I have put so much trust in. And we see a different side of Bruce Wayne. That's the only way I can see that happening. I honestly think that if Thomas, somehow found Martha's body and they were together. I don't see Bruce stepping down. Obviously 73 was setting up something very specific that we, that did not actually play out in 74. But um, I, that, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like that would be the only way. And I think it could be entirely possible, but it would require him to have some sort of like, huge breakdown because of something like city of Bane, which is coming. And then, you know, maybe get to the point where he can actually experience some happiness. And he realizes, which would be also a change of his character that he doesn't have to be, you know, he doesn't have to be the fail safe for every single situation. So. I just wanted to comment that I think that a Joel Jones, 1950s Batman black label title would be pretty cool. And Despite the overabundance of Batman Black Label titles, I think that would be much more interesting than most of what they're doing right now. Would you want it to be campy or? Well, I'm thinking he mentioned Lady Killer. So I was thinking more of a gritty, but also yeah. that 
that 1950s aspect. Um, I would like, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, if we, ha- if we want campy, we've got the Batman 66. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Wasn't there, there was a Batman where, where he was like fighting Nazis, I think. I don't remember what it was. You look that one up, but there was one where he and Catwoman were actually like in World War II with the technology of the time. It was okay. Catwoman was a bit of a skank. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I'd love to see Jason Todd as Batman because he was for what, like five minutes during Battle of the Cowl, but yeah. they didn't really know what to do with him. Well, they don't know what to do with him now. No but... one considers that legitimate. <laughs> right, right. But I think as he is now, it would be interesting. I mean, because Dick is busy, you know, not being Dick. Uh, I I think I just want to put my plug in here for Donovan and other Cascade fans that I think Cass would be a great heir to the Bat. I don't. I'm not a fan of the fans who say she should be Batman, but I think the Bat. I think she'd be awesome as it. All right, so that is all of our questions. But what happened was basically I knew this episode was going to be rather short because of the lack of news and the fact that I knew I wasn't going to have a lot to say about Detective Comics. And in general, we didn't have a lot of listener questions. So I posed a question out to our, our listeners on Discord and said, hey, uh, we've got time for uh, Monkey Watch. Have you ever wondered something about us or do you have any additional questions for the cast? And boy, oh boy, everyone did not disappoint. We got a slew of questions and some of these are pretty, they're going to take a little bit of time. I'll just I'll say that. Um <laughs> So basically what's going to happen is um, I'm looking at the clock and we've got just under an hour to hit our two hour mark. Obviously we don't have to go to two hours, but I don't really want to particularly go over two hours at this point, but there's a lot of questions here. I imagine we could probably hit every single one of these. So I'm going to read the question and then uh, we'll, we'll just, if you've got something to say, well, actually, there's a couple of these I imagine everyone could say something about at least. Um, a couple of these I'm not sure everyone will have something to say, but uh, we'll just go Steph, Ian, and my, then myself uh, answering the questions, and then we'll go from there. So first question comes from Matman. He says, what are your views on pro wrestling? And then his follow-up was, uh, what do you guys think about it? Do you watch it? Do you like it? Do you hate it? I have very little interest in it. Um, Gosh, a few months ago, I couldn't have told you anything other than The Rock comes from there and and the dude from Guardians of the Galaxy was a wrestler. That's about all I knew. Oh, and I knew why it was called WWE instead of – or why it changed from WWF to WWE. So I knew that. That was the extent of my knowledge. But I have since adopted a 17-year-old who's now 18 – and he has taught me so much about wrestling that I never wanted to know. <laughs> so I'm glad it exists. I'm glad he, he loves it. And there's a culture I don't understand out there that loves it. And, you know, good for you guys. But I just, I am not interested. I have to admit that I am pretty much in the same boat as Steph. Uh, but I'm even less interested in all sports. So I just don't really have a comment on, on pro wrestling. I think I, I have friends who are. So I think it's great but it's sort of a closed book to me. So I'm the complete opposite of my friends. 
And uh, it's interesting this comes up because, well, a couple of things. One, I know for a fact that I'm not the only person on our Discord who likes wrestling. I believe Admiral Wright also watches wrestling because I remember back in April when WrestleMania was on or some other pay-per-view, or maybe it was Royal Rumble, I don't know, some some pay-per-view, I randomly made some comment, or he made some comment, and we were chatting about it for a brief amount of time. Um, yes, I've actually watched wrestling for 20 years. Um, it's thinking about how long it's actually been, it's kind of nuts. Now, I started watching in like the, like right when the Monday Night Wars were kind of like over, um, SmackDown had started up. I started watching SmackDown right around the time that it debuted um, when The Rock was real big and Stone Cold Steve Austin was around and Kurt Angle and The Undertaker and Kane. Those were the big names at the time. Um, I watched it pretty regularly for a really long time. The only catch was that I didn't have cable, so I couldn't watch Raw. I just watched SmackDown because it was on network. And SmackDown was on network television. Um, when I got into high school, I found other friends who also watched wrestling and some friends actually had the money to to pay for the pay-per-views, so I was able to see some of the pay-per-views um, as much as the WD, WD, uh, WWE WCW invasion angle was not very good in the large sense. At the time when I watched it, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, I, I know that those of you out there who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's just this is going to just go over your head, but I apologize. Um, but um, I then went into when I joined the military. Um, I had cable television. I continued to watch uh, the the weekly shows and just keep up to date with stuff online. Um, eventually, I got out of the military and I came back up to the Chicagoland area where I currently live. Still watched it. Still been watching it for years. When they introduced the WWE Network, I subscribed for a good chunk of time and was watching pay per views pretty regularly because they were so cheap at that point. Um, and then there were a couple of years ago. I want to say like within two years, two years ago, I stopped. I just stopped. Not not stopped completely. I still would watch Raw and SmackDown, but the pay per views just weren't that interesting because of all of the the ridiculous bookings that they were doing where you see like multiple matches, multiple months in a row of the same exact thing. It just got really bad and really boring. So I stopped watching it. I, I, I continue to watch uh, WrestleMania and Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble is by far my favorite, favorite idea of a pay-per-view uh, mostly because you never know who's going to come out and that's really cool. Um, and I still watch WrestleMania. So I, I renewed the subscription for the network after that came or for both of those pay-per-views. And then um, earlier, th- and I keep up to date with a lot of wrestling news on in general online um, in my free time, which doesn't really exist, but I still manage to sift through one specific website that is pretty good about keeping up to date with the news. But anyway, the about six months ago when AEW started to get, you know, was announced and got real big, I started paying attention to that stuff. And I don't know what it was, but I just, I don't know if it was the compounding of the fact that there was another company that was going to be emerging who could potentially rival WWE, you know, down the road. I don't know what it was, but I just started to feel like Raw and SmackDown were getting really, really boring and not a lot of stuff was happening. And while I appreciated that they took a risk on like somebody like Kofi Kingston and gave him the chance to be champion. And there was a lot of other 
people who have suddenly started to get a, a little bit of a push. I feel like it was almost like a little too late, too, a little too little too late situation. And honestly, over the past couple months, I haven't really been watching on SmackDown that much. I tend to just read about what happened on the episodes. So I'm kind of at a low point right now. I'm not really digging what's going on, and I'm hoping that maybe AEW could be something interesting. But honestly, there's no guarantees over there either. So that's a long-winded way way to say I've been watching for a long time, and uh, now you know a little bit more about me. All right. So our next comment, our next question comes from Tony, um, who says, what's the most controversial film or TV series finale of all time? Well, uh, of all time is just, a lot of uh, material, but let's not but stick in- with the all, all of all time. Let's just, if you have a TV series finale, they're like, wow, that was really bad. Or that could have went way differently. Or you have a film franchise that had the final film in the franchise where it just was like, just went in a completely different direction, any of those. And you can have more than one. So the last season of X-Files was a bit of a dumpster fire. Um, When David DeCarney left. Is it the one in the nineties or are we talking about the, Oh no, no, sorry. Yeah. I haven't watched any of the new stuff. I've, I've, yeah, no, no, I'm talking about the season nine. Season nine was a dumpster fire. fire. Season eight was okay. Even though Mulder left, like I still think they did a decent amount of good stories, but I gave up on season nine. I think I skipped to the finale and then I was happy that it was over. (laughs) So like, I can't, it's like watching your child make really bad choices and make like become a homeless hobo and you can't do anything to help them. It was just awful. But um, the two I have written down are, because when I heard controversial, I guess I thought, like, things that either made me angry or, or like, were a, what's the word, um, commentary on the world. And so the first one was Cowboy Bebop. Spoiler, if you haven't watched a 19-year-old anime. It's a great story, wonderful story, wonderful series. And then it ends with the main character getting shot, and then they pan away. And you never find out if he lives or dies. And I have not forgiven that show for for hurting my soul like that. Because you never find out if Spike makes it. And it's like, what? That's how it ends? It's terrible. And then for a movie, I came up with, and this is not my jam, but I watched Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Spoiler if you haven't seen a 50-year-old movie. But um, it's it was a decent, you know, zombie movie. I think it's one of the first or the first zombie movie of all time. And the protagonist in this 1968 movie was a non-tropey, very educated black guy who survives all the zombies. And then he goes out to get help and he gets shot in the head by the Southern white cops who are out zombie hunting and they're just having a conversation and they shoot him in the head and they don't even blink and they keep going. And that was like a very interesting ending to a zombie movie. And I thought it was fairly controversial, especially at the time it would have definitely raised some eyebrows and sparked conversation. So those were my two. Three. (laughs) Um, I, off the top of my head, the one that, sort of hit um, most for me was um, How I Met Your Mother. Um, <laughs> I I didn't watch the show religiously, but I watched it on and on for the entire run. Um, and the final season I was really enjoying until the last episode, and then it just sort of poisoned a lot of 
the show before that. And I've read all the arguments about how it was set up and it's the creator's original vision. And I just think that it's a betrayal of the things they did in the last two seasons before that. And I think there's a reason it's not as well remembered as even something that's fairly controversial, not for its ending, but just for its content today. Uh, Friends. Friends is still Mm -hmm. beloved, even though you could never make that show right now. Um, I guess another thing that that occurred to me was uh, the Sherlock. Um, I used to be a fan in the first couple of seasons, but Mm -hmm. most people think the last couple of seasons are just dreadful. Um, They were dreadful. They were really bad. (laughs) Um, So those are the two that I think uh, go on. I I can go on literally for hours on Sherlock Holmes, so I don't want to go too far into that. I forgot about Sherlock. All right. So here's the thing. Um, I, I, I tend to, I don't tend to watch a lot of television. Okay. I used to watch a lot of television as it aired. And now more recently I've gotten to the point where I am straying away from shows watching on like a normal basis. And honestly, as I, and I say this, like I start, I started watching a lot more shows like, on Netflix and things like that is like a complete series. Um, years ago, I, I, this all started because I think I watched uh, breaking bad all the way through in like a very short amount of time. And I was like, wow, that was so good. And it was such a great story and it played out very well. And then I started looking into other series that I could watch. And I've binged a bunch of different series over the years um, that have had multiple seasons, like tons of episodes I just actually finished, um, like a week ago from the time we were recording this, I finished the office, the entire office series, um, because I'd never, I mean, I've seen the episodes here or there, but I've never actually seen it all the way through. So I watched all nine seasons of the office oh and uh, over like a two month time frame, and it was good stuff, but it was, it, it was like you, you, the one thing that's really interesting when you watch a series all the way through is you can see like the ups and downs of mm-hmm. like when they had issues with the series and things like that. And you can clearly see while wow, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't, they were really struggling here. But um, thinking of shows that I've, that I've watched, like, I don't like the majority of um, one that comes to mind immediately, because it was probably one of the few shows that I watched a bunch when I was younger. And I remember everybody talking about it when it happened was the Seinfeld finale. Uh, <laughs> I watched, I didn't watch Seinfeld like, you know, some sort of like person who would watch all of it all, all the time. But the thing is, like, it was on. My parents watched it. I'd watch it sometimes with them. Um, they were constantly running reruns all over the place for this, for the series. Um, and it wasn't a show that you had to really watch from the beginning to the end to really understand what was going on. It's similar to the way The Office is, but The Office does have a little bit more overarching stories with a lot of the different characters. But, Seinfeld, the way it ended, it was, it was, I know a lot of people talked about it like, well, this is how they end it. And honestly, I don't really find it that controversial um, in the sense of like, how do you end a show that literally has a bunch of people who are just <laughs> in, in most situations, really bad people. Thank so um, that, that's the way you have it. You end, you end with them all in jail, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, another, one of the shows that I had an issue with um 
when it aired because I actually watched it from the very beginning and the end. Well, two shows, uh, Mad Men. I hated the way that series ended. Um, the first couple seasons of Mad Men were really good. And the last couple seasons, I just felt like they didn't know where to go, what to do. And it just didn't go anywhere. And then to have uh, John Hamm's Don Draper go off into, you know, live at peace on the West Coast and just give up everything. It just didn't seem like the way to end a series. So I really didn't like that one. But the other one that I really am annoyed by also is Dexter. Um, Dexter was a great series and it felt like they were going in a very specific direction. He was gone. And then at the last moment they, they show that he's alive and it's like, <sighs> they couldn't just let it be and leave it alone. No, he, he, he's still alive and he's out there, but he's, you know, making everyone else believe he's dead, which I just felt like was the wrong, the wrong move. So those would be my two. As far as movies go, I honestly can't think of a movie franchise that has the problem is when I think of movie franchises, of course, I can't think of any that have actually ended because most of the franchises that immediately come to mind are ones that are still producing new movies. Um, so I'll stay away from the movies for now. Watchmen so. made you angry. Watchmen did make me angry, but not because I think it, it's controversial. Like the fact that they they deviated from the comic book ending, so, and fans are kind of split on whether that was a good thing or not. Yeah, so it's 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 like a it's one of two sides. Okay, so to be fair, I never read Watchmen up until the right before the movie came out. I knew the movie was coming out. I was really hyped to see it. I wanted to see it, and I was like, "Well, I want to know what the source material is first. So I got the graphic novel. I read it all the way through. Thought it was an amazing thing. Did think that the squid at the end of the issue was kind of like off the wall and very weird to randomly end with. But I was just like, okay, that's just the way it ended. Whatever. And it could be chalked up to a variety of different explanations. But I just was like, okay, I'll accept it because that's what it is. When I saw the actual movie and and saw that they did not go for the squid, I was like, I don't understand why they deviated. So much of this film took like straight shots from the panels mm-hmm. to create shots for for the film, and then they deviate and change it to be something that that's not the squid. As ridiculous as that stupid squid was at the end of the story, why did they not do the squid? Just go for you know, like if you're doing this direct adaptation, why change it just because you think it serves better a different way? So like, I was pissed, but at the same time, I understood that the squid was kind of a weird thing to begin with. So like, I don't know. I was, it, it's more of like, I was on the fence and I will say that when I left the first thing I said to my wife, who also had, I made her read the, the graphic novel right before we went and saw the movie too. I was like, you got to read this. It's really good. And she thought it was really good too, but she questioned the squid too. And then when we saw the film, the first thing I said was, why didn't they have the squid? It's so weird that they didn't have it. And she's like, it is weird. But the squid was weird too. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. So, but yeah. All right. So, next question comes from Halo Tigrin. And he says, What does vacation look like to you? I'm so boring. I said, Not cooking, not doing dishes, going to Seattle where I can actually breathe the air. I live in Texas. The humidity here is a crime against humanity. And so Washington, you can breathe the air, and the sun can come in. I'll stay with my parents, and the sun will just shine in through the window, and if I feel like it, I'll go canoeing or something, or just go look at the water and enjoy the smelly beaches of the Puget Sound 
and just have a wonderful time. And then I told my husband about this. He's like, oh, I would totally go on a European trip with you. I was like, all right, that too. Yes. <laughs> wonderful European vacation. That would also be awesome. I think I might be even more boring. And I know Dustin's going to, again, just uh, burn us out of the water with all his, yeah. <laughs> his parks and stuff. Uh, I like going to a quiet place, either in the mountains or in the forests, with a, a cabin or a timeshare. And I do like to cook, um, probably because I don't cook normally. So it's sort of that is a treat for me. I, I've done food management for group vacations for about five to 10 other guys and myself. And we went out to the mountains and we hiked and I cooked and I read and I marathon TV shows. And that was my vacation. <laughs> I am super boring. I apologize. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my vacations, uh, what a vacation actually looks like to me compared to what I would, if I imagined a vacation in my mind is two completely different things. So typically, well, up until, 2016, I hadn't been on vacation in probably about 10 years. And it wasn't for any specific reason. I had the opportunities to go on vacation. I just chose not to. My wife really likes traveling. Um, but whenever she would, uh, before we had kids, it was more of a, I didn't particularly want, I couldn't get out of work to go. So she would go with either a friend or family or whatever. And it just didn't work out. And then we had kids. And then, of course, some of the places that she was going, you don't bring kids with. So it was more of a, okay, so uh, I still can't figure out how to get out of work. And now we've got kids. So I just become the babysitter for the kids. But just recently, now we've gotten to a point where uh, my kids are a little bit older. We can we have family who can watch the kids for longer periods of time. And if you asked me prior to 2016 – what my ideal vacation would be, it would be going to a forest type area, um, sleeping in a cabin, but still having like all the amenities that you would typically have. So I could still get online and read articles. I could still watch TV or, you know, watch Netflix or whatever um, and, and enjoy my time. But like breathe in that fresh air that you only get when you're away from the big city, because while I don't live specifically in Chicago, I live in the suburbs around Chicago. It is a completely different type of air when you go to someplace that's not in a metropolitan area, even the suburbs. So um, that um, I'm not a hiker or anything or a biker or anything like that, that I do typical stuff outside. So it's not like I'm going to the forest so that I can go hiking or anything like that. But my dream vacation is to actually go to Washington and like stay at some place along the coast or do an Alaskan cruise mm. that's on our list of stuff that we, my wife and I are planning on doing. And we actually thought about doing an Alaskan cruise and it just didn't work out this year um, just because of time and stuff. But then in 2016, I went to Disney world for the very first time and then everything went to, to crap because now every year I'm going to Disney world or one of the Disney parks or something almost twice a year. Um, and that's now, I, I mean, let I'll be honest. Okay. I, Went to a theme park that we had here in Chicago called Six Flags Great America when I was a kid every single summer, just once a summer. And I had fun. I loved the rides and everything. But when you go to a place like Disney World, when I was a kid, I went to Disneyland once when I was like seven, I think, years old or nine years old or something like that. And it was fun, but I don't really remember a whole lot about it because you don't pay attention to details. Mm -hmm. But as an adult... You go to a Disney park and all you see is the massive amount of work that they put into the theming and 
you know, the connections and the little Easter eggs that are hidden all over the place. There's so many little details that you just, you can't comprehend as a, as a child that are there for adults. And then you put on the fact that you go to Walt Disney world and they have a gazillion restaurants. They have all kinds of different resorts you can stay at. Even if you don't stay at a resort on the actual property of Walt Disney world, there's like a gazillion food options to choose from. There's so many different options as far as entertainment and rides and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I, uh, that's, that's what we do now. So last year we, I took my wife and my oldest son and my daughter and we went and in the spring and then in the fall, I went with just my wife and it was like the first time we actually went anywhere for a long period of time out of state, um, just the two of us. And that was really fun. And now it was so much fun that we're doing it again this year, but this year we took my oldest son and my daughter and my wife, we went to Disneyland in the spring. And then my wife and I are going back to Disney world in September. And that is what we do. And now, of course, now that I've got this, I guess, desire to get out more often, my wife is constantly trying to figure out other ways. So we've been doing a lot more of um, like weekend trips and things like that. Uh, We have some friends that we go up to Michigan and Wisconsin with uh, just to do like wine tours, which I don't drink wine, but there's, I drink cider. So there's cider tours that you can go on to and stuff like that. So that's, that's uh, what, what my vacations look like now, but I still my I mean, like if jobs were not a concern, money was not a concern. Honestly, I would love to live in Washington. The idea of living in Washington, I love the idea of it being overcast and rainy and, you know, getting that nice breeze off the ocean. That's that, that's what I would love, but yeah. It's not overrated. It's wonderful. Yeah. My wife, on the other hand, is not somebody who would like that, but she she would be the one who wants to live where it's like super warm, like Florida. And I don't ever, uh, as much as I would love to be very close to Disney world so I could go there more often. There's no way in heck I'd ever live in, live, live in Florida. There's no way. All right. Next question comes from Adele, and he says, list all the places each of you have traveled outside of the U.S. and tell us your most memorable story that resulted from any of those places. Oh, my word. So I kind of cheat because I grew up outside of the U.S. I'm actually a Canadian, half Canadian, um, born in Canada. I grew up in Austria, and the places that I visited while I lived there were Hungary, Romania, probably the Czech Republic. But I don't remember, so maybe I shouldn't count that. Italy, Spain, Portugal, France, Great Britain, Scotland. I think I might have been sick for that trip, though, so that sucked. Um, probably a bunch of other places, too. Um, never been to Mexico. I live in Flippin', Texas, and I've never been to Mexico. Um, and the most memorable memory <laughs> is I went on a trip with my dad without the rest of my family to Romania, which means uh, two two border crossings from Austria to Hungary and then from Hungary to Romania. We get to the Austrian border crossing and the dude is calling out all the names he has passports for and he says, Elizabeth? I was like, that's not my name. <laughs> it's not my sister's name either. It's my sister's middle name. So it turned out my dad had grabbed the wrong passport. And so I had to somehow look like a two-year younger blonde girl <laughs> <laughs> to cross Two former Soviet Union country borders. So that was exciting. (laughs) Um, But they didn't catch. Apparently, border security was not what it should have been. This was (laughs) pre-9-11. 
So they didn't care. And they just let me through. And then another time I got into Spain sleeping in a trunk of a car, but it was a hatchback. So it wasn't like the, it was shut on me. We just, the car was so full. They didn't listen to room for all the kids. So one of the kids had to sleep on the luggage at any given time. And so I crossed the Spanish border sleeping in the trunk, which I like to think about. So that's what I So I am just about as boring as you'd expect. I have been out of the country once in 2001, uh, one month before 9-11. I stayed in France for two weeks and then England for two weeks. I think we did cross over into Switzerland uh, for a day. And in England, we went to uh, the North countries for a little bit and then spent most of the time in London. Um, Not a lot of memorable stuff. I mean, I, I went hiking in the Swiss Alps, which was fantastic. It was the first mountains I ever remember seeing. Um, I nearly got into a fist fight at the top of the <gasps> tower with someone because they cut in line in front of me. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I got to go visit 221B Baker Street before it went completely nuts with the Sherlock craze, um, which I would prefer because I'm a fan of the Jeremy Brett TV series, and that was the big thing back then. Uh but yeah, I mean, that's the only time I've been out of the country. I had a good time, but I'm not a traveler. So while I would like to go back to England and see some of the, the countryside and the great stately manors, and I'd love to go see Prince Edward Island or Anne of Green Gables, and I'd love to go to the south of Italy because it's beautiful, I probably won't for several years. So I haven't been to a ton of places outside of the country. Um, I, I've i been to Australia. I went to the... I, Traveled all the way up and down the the uh, Gold Coast of Australia, um, and then I've been to Germany and Kuwait and Iraq, which are obviously all connected because of my military, my time in the military. Um, but I probably my and oddly enough, I've never been to Mexico or or uh, Canada. Canada is on one of my is on my list of also places to go um, at some point. Mexico. It's hot. I, 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 I mean, I'm sure I'll go at some point, but it's hot, and I'd rather be someplace that's not hot. Um, and there's lots of places I'd love to go um, in Europe and and Europe and Asia. There's I'd love to go to Japan. That's like one of my places that I really want to go is to go to Tokyo and you know travel, spend like more than a week in Japan to go up and down and see different things. Um, there's lots of places in Europe too. Um, that I'd love to go, but uh, my my probably my favorite memory though is uh, when I was when I went to Australia. I went as uh, it's it, they call it a student ambassador, but it's not like a, an exchange student. It's just like a, a program to experience. So I was not with my parents or anything like that. I was just with these this group of kids that were all my age, and I think I was thirteen when I went, um, and it was really like. I I had gone to summer camps and things like that, but this obviously summer camps are, you know, an hour or two away from your parents' house, not like, you know, the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. So this was really my first experience of going away from my parents. And it was also the first time I had been gone for, you know, three weeks. Uh, most of the situations I was just gone for a day or, or not a day, a, a week or so. So 
it was a cool situation, but it was really cool because it was just like, there was obviously chaperones. They were part of this organization that I went with, but for the most part, it was, it was like a ton of kids that were just my age that were experiencing this stuff with me. And my favorite memory of that entire trip was there was a point in time where we, we, there was, there was a town that we stopped at um, that was along the coast and there was the equivalent of like Alliance club or the Knights of Columbus, like a fraternal organization that was hosting our group at their, they were having a dinner and during the day they had us all like link up with a family and then go spend the day with the family to see how they do their things. And I was with this one family, but the, the husband and the wife had to go to work. So I actually stayed with their neighbor who's working, you know, who's watching somebody, you know, be the, I don't know, not watching, but because we weren't, they weren't babysitting us, but like in charge of another kid who was in my group. And he took us down to the beach on the coast with the Pacific ocean. And the water was probably no joke, 60 degrees. It was cold as heck, but he gave us these boards and we're like, yeah, go out and, you know, try to, you know, uh, see what you can do with the waves. And I was like, what do you mean? Like surf? And he's like, well, just do whatever, just have fun. And I was like, okay. And I remember these, I remember like diving into these waves and the waves were crashing down and the the water was super cold, but like I was having so much fun. It was probably one of my best memories I've ever had. It's just experiencing these waves, like crashing down and trying to dive underneath the waves. And it was super overcast and it wasn't very warm at all. And it was just, I don't know what it was, but it was just something that was like really, really fun. That's where I, probably my favorite memory. So, Aww, that sounds awesome. All right, next comment. Dunnock, Dun Dunnock, maybe um, says, "Put together your league of extraordinary gentlemen." And we were talking about this right before we started recording. Where there's there's obviously ways to interpret this. So, the league of extraordinary gentlemen are typically a bunch of like characters, like the Invisible Man or Dracula or. Van Helsing that all combined into a group. So the way we're going to interpret this question is put together a group of four different characters from of whatever franchise you want as a group of characters you would love to see put in to make a really interesting movie. Okay. So I went with a Ghibli route. So I picked my four favorite um, super powered or, or, Super powered, the right word? Yeah, I guess. Super powered um, gentleman. So I have Howl from Howl's Moving Castle because he's totally cute. Uh, Haku from Spirited Away, the the river spirit. Uh, Porco from Porco Rosso because he's an awesome pilot and he's a pig. And Baron Humbert von Gückigen from The Cat Returns, who's the talking cat who's voiced by Carrie Elwes. So he's just automatically awesome. And he has a top hat. And he's a cat because he's the cat that returns. That is a great list. I love it. I would watch that. Um, something that I'm stealing from someone I follow on Twitter um, is I don't understand why Disney hasn't done a princess crossover uh, franchise. They're obsessed with this um, live action remake thing, but I think it would be way cooler if they did all the princesses, having adventures together um and they sort of did this in Rocket Ralph 2 um 
I have a couple quibbles with how they did it because I think they weren't very sensitive to the actual voices and characters of the princesses involved. They tended to go more for easy jokes rather than uh, thoughtful voicing and characterization. But in the end, it was a really fun part of that movie. And I I don't understand why they don't make that into a franchise because the, the princesses are this huge franchise and I don't see why a crossover wouldn't be more interesting to people than let's cast some high profile or controversial people and do a live action version of movies that we can already see. I, I think that that is much more creatively interesting and fulfilling than the kind of laziness that we're seeing for the last three years and that we're probably going to see for the next 10 in increasing order. Ugh. It's because they just make too much money. Do you have any princesses in particular you'd like to see, or you just want all of them? Well, I mean, I think everyone knows my favorite princess is Rapunzel Rapunzel. from Tangled. And I also love um, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. So those would be my two favorites. But I like most of them. Even the ones I don't like the movies from, like Brave, I really like Merida. I just don't like her movie at all. So my four... I can't honestly see how you can connect these into making a movie, (laughs) but I'm going to do it anyway. It would be Batman, James Bond, King (laughs) Kong. And I'm trying to think of who I would put as the last one. (sighs) Oh, Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) That would be awesome. Yeah. So let's put those four into a movie and see what we can come up with. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, so so uh yeah, that would be mine. I'd so, that fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. So looking over the questions, it's actually the last one we had. We don't have any more. Um so um we can do this again, although I, I mean I'll put out a call if if we are in need of more of these crazy questions. Uh but you can always choose to just leave these crazy questions in a comment over on the site or on Discord and we'll be sure to talk about them one way or the other because if you ask them and we see them, then we'll make sure that we, we talk about them in the next episode. So hopefully the last, I mean, I think we've been doing these for at least, whew, it's been almost uh, 30 something minutes. So I think uh, you guys probably enjoyed that because every time we talk about stuff that isn't me talking about how badly I am upset with the overall story of Tom King, then, Hey, everybody likes it. So uh, that being said, be sure to leave your comments over on the site, on the podcast post, or you can leave your comments on Twitter YouTube, Facebook, Discord, wherever you listen to them, just be sure to tag us so that we know that you're leaving comments for us because that obviously helps us port those questions over to the website. In addition to that, you can support us on Patreon. That's always greatly appreciated. And if you are unable to support us financially, we are always looking for more people to join our staff. Um, We have a variety of different positions available. Video editors is something that we're specifically seeking out. Um, Even if you don't have, you're not super skilled with video editing. I'm currently looking for someone to do minor videos. Uh, We're going to hopefully do some more stuff on YouTube in the near future. Um, So that, that is a hope that we really have. So if you have any sort of video editing skills, even if it is just you know, starting out and you probably know more than me because I, I, I'm, I don't know anything about video editing. And that's part of the reason why some of this stuff is, is, is not helping or is, is not really happening as, 
as much as I'd like it to. So um, video editors, we're also looking for more people to review comics. We know as, as we know, there is a slew of new books coming in August, September and October uh, that we will be needing coverage for. And we've had a couple of people who have uh, recently stopped reviewing comics. So we need to fill in their, their, their spots. And then obviously we need, people to help fill in some of the other things. So if you're interested in reviewing comics, reach out to me at tbu at thebatmanverse.net and uh, I'll work with you to get you set up on the site. Um, as well as if you're interested in writing news for the site or you know, you're a graphic designer or you have any special skills you'd just like to share with the site in general, just reach out to me, tbu at thebatmanverse.net and we will find a place for you to help. Um, in addition to that, be sure to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con is underway as you're listening to this, so we'll be having all kinds of news posted on the site in regards to what's happening at San Diego. Uh, outside of that, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and uh, obviously our Discord as well. Uh, Anywhere you want to talk to us, we're, we're available all over the place. Uh, pretty much all of the staff is also on Twitter, um, and you can follow them by looking at the the Batman Universe profile and finding their Twitter handles because we follow all of them. So uh, that being said, that is everything for this episode. I do want to remind everybody that uh, July is a five-week month, so we will be not we will, the next episode we have will actually be in three weeks, not two weeks. Um, so be aware of that. Um, but in the meantime, if you are a Patreon supporter, we are going to be making a strong effort to try to get a bunch of content released in the next couple of weeks. Um, as you're listening to this, I should have posted at least three new episodes in the last week. So there's that and uh, there's more coming. So I've got plans for stuff. And if you're a Patreon supporter and you've got something specific you'd like us to chat about in the near future, you can always shoot us those suggestions as well. So with that being said, uh, that is this episode. This is Dustin. This is Seth. And this is Ian. You've been listening to the Batmanverse Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. <laughs>